You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Hey guys, Happy New Year. Glad you're all here with us. Hey, uh, have you ever needed some renewed hope? Uh, so a lot of you know this last year and a half or so I've really gotten into hunting Um, And this last September, I did my first elk hunt. It was an archery elk hunt. It was one of the most amazing experiences I ever had. First day I got in, uh, came in, hiked in before sunup. Coming into this spot, I had a nice little meadow that I had scouted out. It was about 30 yards by 50 yards, perfect for hunting with a bow. Uh, I was kind of down in this bowl. It was just, it was great. I get there, sunup comes. I'm laying down a few calls for uh, some elk. About seven o'clock, these two moose come through, and a big old cow moose and a big old bull moose following her, and uh, he was very interested in her, uh, if I can say it that way, right? So, and if you don't know cow, uh, moose, they're not, they're, they're not like normal deer, or I say normal deer, like other deer where they will get spooked and run off. They can be aggressive, right? And so if he's with his lady, he doesn't want me around, so they come on in to that spot. Uh, I freeze. I do a really dumb thing. I'm, I'm sitting there on this on this log, and, and I kind of do this thing to see them come in, and then I had to freeze, oh, no. like this, oh, my right? Which is not smart. Uh, the bull moose, come, the, the, the cow, she doesn't care much. She goes through the meadow, and she kind of lays at the other end, or stays there, and she's eating. The, the bull, he comes in, and he turns and looks at me about 10 yards away, and he just stares at me, and I'm freaking out. My heart's doing this. I'm sure he can hear me, right? And uh, I'm freaking out. I'm sitting there like that, right? I've got my pistol with me in case he charges, but then I'm like, well, who's a faster draw, him or me? Uh, So I just stayed still. I freaked out a little bit. I'm like, I've got all my camo on, right? And the the wind is in my face, so I'm downwind from him. He can't smell me, but I know he can see like the whites of my eyes. So I'm like, well, do I close my eyes or do I open? Like, if I close them, I can't see what he's doing. Then he's going to rush me. And if my eyes are open, then he's going to see me. And so freaking out here. And he finally kind of gets bored with me. And he takes his time to move through that little meadow. It takes about 45 minutes for these two moose to get through there, right? And I'm stuck like this the whole time, right? Occasionally kind of doing one of these things and looking. And so they get through. They, they leave finally. I kind of give them 15 minutes, and I try and calm myself down. And I'm like, okay. Whew. All right, I'm elk hunting. So I lay down another call. And off in the distance, I hear a bugle. Right? And I'm like, yes, this is it. Now he's way over there. I need to go get him. So I get all my stuff on, and I skirt around that meadow, and I get to the other side, and I lay down another call. And then he lays out a call, and he's closed in about half the distance, right? So he's coming to me. So I'm freaked out. I'm like, I need to get back to my spot. So I get back to my spot, take all my stuff off. I sit back down, right? And just as I sit down, he comes in at the top of that little bowl area, right? And he is just hot and he is excited. He thinks there's a cow down in there for him, right? And he is bugling and I'm just like, it is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. My heart starts going. He starts circling down. He's coming in. It's a spot I know. It's 30 yards. I can shoot 30 yards. He's going to start coming through. His nose pokes through. I mean, there's drool and all. I mean, he is ready, right? He is fired up, right? And I'm thinking, he's coming out. I need to draw. This is where my inexperience and my impatience comes into play. So I start to draw my bow and his head comes out right as I move. So he stops. And I'm like this. But I'm not like this. I'm like this. And I'm shaking, right? I can't even see the sight. I don't even know if there's a sight on my bow. I'm just shaking. And I'm like, cool down. I got to just calm down. Breathe. 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 Right? And I can't. So I just have to let off. And as soon as I let off, he sees that. He kind of jumps back up over. 
And he's about 20 yards away from me, but I can't move. He's staring right at me. And the wind's still in my face, right? And all of a sudden, it shifts. The wind goes back. He lifts up his nose. He smells me. He kind of jumps off. I laid on a call and stop him, and we kind of play this game for a while. I try to circle back around as he heads up this mountain. Finally, he sees me and takes off, right? And I was just so bummed. I mean, that was like the perfect opportunity. If I had just had one ounce of patience, he had come into that meadow, and I could have had that shot, right? But my whole, whole hunting season has been kind of like this, right? Like, <laughs> like, I've seen really great things, and I've learned a lot, Okay, like we went antelope hunting. We saw lots of antelope, but they were out on private land, so we couldn't get them, so learned some stuff there. And we went mule deer hunting, and I was like 10 minutes away from this buck that we were stalking, and someone else shot him. So that was a little aggravating. And then, uh, and so then we get done with all of that, and I'm, we're done with all of our tags, and I'm just like still have this itch and this urge to go get a deer. And so I find this leftover license that's out there. It's for a plains whitetail uh, for archery. I'm like, this will be cool. So my wife, Patty, agrees. She gets me an early uh, Christmas gift and it says, get the tag, go hunting. So I go out there a couple times. This tag ran through the end of December and I didn't see anything. I saw a sign. I found good spots where to be and like this made sense. And so this last week on the 31st, that was the last day of my tag. I'm like, I'm going to go out again. But I was like, do I go down again? Like, what's the point? Been out there. There's, there's nothing out there. I know there's sign, but I've never seen a deer out there. I don't even know if I should go. But I decide to go because I don't want to miss that last day, right? And I get out there, and I get out there the night before, and I go set up. I bought this new blind. I'm like, maybe this will help me. So I go out at like 10 o'clock at night to set up this blind. It's 9 degrees. It's cold. It's, it's not too windy. But I put up my blind, and I'm setting it up, and I'm putting the stakes in. And I come around to kind of like the last corner to put the stake in, and I see this sign, scat right next to where I put my blind down. I had hope. I said, I could do this. The deer are right here. So I sat all day the next day, and all I saw was a kitty cat, which is, you're sitting out in the wild, you know, looking for wildlife, and you see a common house cat. It, does, it just tears you up, you know? Uh, but I had some hope there for a moment, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about hope. We're talking about this renewed hope, just like I had renewed hope there, right? We're in the middle of this series. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're in need of some hope, maybe some renewed hope. Maybe for you, you're struggling through a relationship, you know, that seems lost. Maybe you have a, a marriage that's, that's on the brink. Uh, maybe you're working through an addiction that you just feel you, you just can't break free of, or maybe, maybe you're working with like family members who are making poor decisions and you're just, your heart is breaking for them, but you're just losing that hope for them. Maybe the debt is just too much, right? You're at the end of your rope and you, you see no hope in the future. Maybe you've just lost hope in what God can do in your life. Well, I want to let you know you're not here by accident, okay? God has not forgotten you. God will not forget you. You're here for a reason. Whether your hope is lacking because of choices you've made or maybe circumstances that have happened to you, I want you to know that God is with you and God is for you. He sees you. He loves you. He has plans for you. And my prayer is that your hope will be renewed today. So let's jump into this message. We're going to pray. Uh, I'm going to let you guys know. I'm up here preaching. I'm Pastor Jeremy. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself, but in case you didn't know, uh, Pastor Reuben sitting right over here is our lead pastor, but he's not going to be here tomorrow. He's heading up to Alaska. 
And he's going to be teaching some pastors up there uh, for the next four or five days or so. So we're going to pray for him as well uh, for that trip. So let's pray and jump into this message. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. I thank you for the hope that you bring. God, would you be here? Would you? I know you're already here, but would you just continue to be here and would you continue to move God, I thank you that we had this opportunity to, to worship you through song, and now we worship you through the reading and preaching of your word. Would you just set me aside, God, and let your words come out? God, I lift up Pastor Reuben. I just ask that you would be with him, uh, protect him in his travels to and from Alaska, and I pray, God, that you would use him in a mighty way to speak to those pastors up there. Uh, they're going uh, through all kinds of stuff as they try to reach out to their communities, and I pray, God, that he would be an encouragement to them, that he could help build them up, give them strategies and ideas, and, God, that your kingdom would be furthered not only here in Thornton, but as well up in Alaska and all over the uh, earth where you are working, God. So would you just use Pastor Reuben and bring him back safely to us, God. We thank you for this time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at uh, restoration and renewed hope today by, by looking at this guy named Simon Peter. Okay, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. He's had this transformative uh, encounter with Jesus. He, he walked with Jesus for the three years of Jesus' ministry. And I don't want to assume that everybody knows who Peter is, so I'm going to kind of give some backstory, kind of delve into who Peter is, and, and kind of set the stage for the scripture we're going to be looking at in John 21. So, Peter, he's one of the first disciples that were called uh, with his brother Andrew and John and James. Uh, we're introduced to him as Simon, son of John, uh, other versions of the Bible will call him Simon, son of Jonas. Uh, Jesus later changes his name and calls him Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. And we see that in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Simon is the one to step out, to, to, to be the first to say, you're the Messiah. You are the son of God. There is no one like you, right? He's that guy who jumps out there. And, and Jesus says, this was revealed to you by our father in heaven. And you are now Peter. You are rock. And I will build my church upon this rock, upon you. I will use you. This is Jesus' call to Peter of what he will do. It's very important. Don't forget this, because as we get through, we're going to see Peter really dig through and, and struggle with things that are going on. And he, he forgets this calling that Jesus gave to him, that you will be Peter the Rock. Now, I found this other thing that's very interesting. The Jesus Film Project, I don't know if you know about that, really great ministry. They have this film that talks about Jesus, shows the whole gospel, and it's been translated into to hundreds of languages, and they show it all over the world. Well, they did a blog post and kind of played this idea of, like, what would Simon Peter's Myers-Briggs personality profile be, right? And uh, so they, they looked at him, 
And they, they, they kind of figured out, they said, of all Jesus' disciples, we have the most information about Peter. Not only was he a part of the Lord's inner circle, but also due to his enthusiasm, he was also at the center of many gospel stories. While we can't be certain about Peter's personality type, we do have some hints that he was a classic ENFP. So if you know anything about Myers-Briggs, right, there's four categories or these four areas, and you can be extroverted or introverted, you can be intuitive or sensing, you can be feeling or thinking, you can be judging or perceiving. And Peter is extroverted, which means he gets energized by spending time around people. He's intuitive, means he focuses on ideas and concepts as opposed to facts and processes. He's feeling, which prioritizes others and emotions over logic. And he's perceiving, which means he prefers freedom and flexibility over structure and predictability. They kind of broke it out into these, these four things real quick. I want to go over those. He was zealous and impulsive, right? Uh, ENFP personalities excel at following their intuition and making snap decisions. Unfortunately, not taking the time to think things through can get them into trouble. And sometimes it's not because their instincts are wrong, but because they end up in a situation they're just not prepared for. Uh, do you remember Peter walked on water? with Jesus. Jesus is going out to the disciples. They're all in a boat. Jesus is walking on water. They're freaked out. Who is that? He says, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, then tell me to come to you. Right? He's, he just thinks real quick. Let's, this is what we're going to do. And so Jesus says, well, come. And so Peter steps out and he starts walking on water and then he sees the wind and the waves and he starts to sink and he freaks out and he says, Jesus, save me. And Jesus grabs his hand and pulls him up. Right? And we see that Peter is acting on the right inclination, but then he finds himself in over his head. Hashtag dad jokes. He was sinking. See, he was in over his Okay. Um, the other thing is he just can't contain himself, right? ENFPs are energized by sharing their thoughts with the people around them. And this could lead into sharing some pretty half-baked ideas. There's another time Jesus takes Peter and John and James up onto this mountain, and it's called the Transfiguration. And, and Jesus is up there, and God, just this big bright light comes up, and Moses and Elijah is there. And, and Peter looks, and he sees all three of them, and he's like, it's so good that we're here. I'll build you some tents. So you could be in, t that would be good, right? Because Moses and Elijah need tents right here with Jesus, right? See, the, and, and God just cuts him off. While he's still speaking, God says, this is my son who I'm well pleased with, right? Just says, Peter, come on, right? The NFP's tendency to speak before thinking can lead to a lot of foot-in-mouth situations. He's easily overwhelmed and stressed out. Uh, one of the best things about the ENFP is that they're in, a in touch with their feelings, uh, but a stressed-out ENFP can often find himself doing things that he would never do otherwise, right? And this is Peter when Jesus is arrested and he's at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are uh, interrogating him. And he's out in the courtyard by this fire. And this girl says, hey, aren't you one of those guys that hung out with Jesus? He's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. And someone else is like, no, you're from Galilee. You're, you're with. He says, no, 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 I don't, I don't know him. And then one more guy is like, no, no, I saw you. I know that you know Jesus. He's like, man, I don't know that guy. Right? And then a rooster crows. And Jesus looks at him, and he realizes what he had done, that he had denied Christ three times, just like Christ said he would. And Peter also has this, I'm sorry I failed you issue. Of all the personality types, ENFPs are most closely aligned with the feelings of others. And they tend to take their failures in stride unless they feel they've hurt or betrayed someone 
that failure will eat them up. We see this in Peter. The moment he realizes that he indeed failed Jesus, he goes out, Luke twenty-two sixty-two. 62, it says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. This is who Peter is. Now, the interesting thing is I'm an INTJ. I'm almost the complete opposite of Peter, right? But I can still relate with him. I still get it. I've still had my times of being impulsive. I've still had my times of putting my foot in my mouth. I have said the wrong thing when overwhelmed. I've, I've had failures eaten at me. I'm sure you have experienced that as well. It's, it's common for us to have these things. And, and that's who Peter is. He's had this roller coaster relationship with Jesus. And, and now we have Peter up to this point who's walked on water, who's, who's declared Jesus the Messiah. At one time, uh, or his name was changed to the rock. At one time, he rebuked Jesus, and Jesus called him Satan, right? Said, get behind me. He denied Christ three times. He's seen his Savior crucified. And now he's seen him resurrected. And Peter is now in Galilee waiting because Jesus told him to wait there for him. And that's where we pick up in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3, it says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter and the other disciples are out here waiting for Jesus. And it's been a couple of weeks since his resurrection. Now, they've seen him a couple of times together. Peter's actually seen him alone, is what we hear from from Paul and, 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 and another account in Luke. And they're told to wait in Galilee, but... We know they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know why they need to wait. They don't know what Jesus is up to. They're kind of confused. You've got Peter, who's this type who he's not just going to sit around and wait. He's not that type of person. He's going to go do something. He's going to actively wait, right? But he's also the same guy who denied Christ three times and wept bitterly. He's kind of gone back to this place where where he's just going to go back to what he knows, to, to what's comfortable, He's going to go fishing, right? He's like, I spent this last three years with Jesus, and I don't know what Jesus is doing now, but guys, let's just go fishing, because this is what we know. This is what we were doing before we met Jesus, so let's just go back to this. It's comfortable. It'll be okay. He says, let's go fishing. And so they get in there. Now, what's interesting about this is it could be that they were just hungry, right? They could have just gone fishing because they needed some food. But it could have quite honestly been because Peter was just in a very low place. He didn't think God could use him anymore. He thought that that ship had sailed. That once you deny Christ, then it's over. And all I can do is go back to what's comfortable. He's forgetting the calling that Jesus had on his life to build the church through him. Now, we're creatures of habit. That's, that's who we are. We're, we, we're really no different than Peter. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen people go back to what's comfortable, leaving the church. I've seen it as a member of Thorn Creek Church. I've seen it as a pastor of Thorn Creek Church. I've seen someone who's just like white hot on fire for Jesus, 
right? They're getting into ministry. God is transforming and working in their lives. They're, they're serving. They're getting in small groups. They're, they're doing all kinds of things. And, and, and then all of a sudden, something happens, a job change, a hardship comes upon them. Maybe just a simple vacation where they miss church once and then they miss church twice and then it's not that big of a deal and then I kind of need a break from serving, you know, and, and then they just kind of slip away and go back to what's comfortable, back to what it was before. See, it's, it's just too easy to drift away from God and his plans for our life. It's just too easy to go back and fish because this is what I know. This is what I'm comfortable with. I know what this will lead to. I know how I was doing it before. I don't have to wait on it. I don't have to struggle through it. I don't have to have faith because I can do this. I know this, right? Peter's saying, I can just fish because it's, it's all done. I've denied Christ. I'm beyond hope. See, and that's the, that's the thing I've learned is that that's one of the devil's greatest lies that he likes to play on us. He'll tell you, you know, you haven't changed. You know who you are. I know who you are. Everybody knows who you are. Yeah, you're doing all these really good things, but deep down, you're still that lying, cursing, stealing, insert your sin here, same type of person, right? So just go back. There's no point. You can't change. See, being a follower of Christ is the best life you can ever have. You are set free. You are forgiven. You are cleansed from the sins that keep you separated from God. Not this opposite where you can't change. It's the Holy Spirit that can move in you and change you and make you into someone new, a new life, a new creation. You can live without guilt, without shame, without depression, without anxiety, because the Son of God loves you to the point of the cross. He'll put joy and peace in you, peace that, that goes beyond understanding, that, that even while you're going through something tough, people will look at you and go, how can you have peace? How can you be calm? Because you know the one that's, that's over your life. That's how. See, you... I'm not saying it's going to be easy, right? It's, it, there's still going to be bad things that happen. There's still going to be struggles. There's still, still going to be times when, when your faith is tested. But the beautiful thing is that you're not defined by those things. You're not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by those seasons of waiting. You're defined by your Savior. You're a child of God. You are loved by a holy God whose love will not stop pursuing you. You may be thinking, well, that's all well and good, but I'm no Simon Peter, right? Like, I'm not called to be the rock. I'm not called to do these great things. But the reality is, we're all called to do something. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. Maybe for you, it's a call to volunteering and serving in a certain ministry area, kids or youth, small groups. Or maybe for you, it's like me. You were called into full-time ministry, whether that's being on staff at a church, volunteering full-time at a church, being part of a parachurch organization, something like Compassion International or something. There's a ministry for you. There is a way that God wants to use you. He has plans for you for his kingdom. You've probably heard Jeremiah 29, 11 before. 
It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a what? A hope. Turn the person next to you God has a, and tell them God has a plan for you. God calls Peter, he calls you, he calls me to serve him. We all have different roles, different parts to play. Paul talks about the body of Christ. That's the beauty of it, that we're not all the same and we don't all do the same thing. I want you to hear this. God has a calling on your life. He has promises for you. As a follower of Christ, each and every one of us are called to share the love of Christ. That's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize and teach. Don't go back to what's comfortable. Don't pick up the fishing rod and say, this is, this is what I'll do. I'll just do this instead. Don't go back to what's comfortable. Keep pushing forward to what God has for you. See, God will respect your choice. That's, that's the danger, is he will respect your choice. He will let you say, I'll just go back. He's gonna zealously pursue you, but if you say, no, I just want to go back to what's, what's over here, he will, he will respect that choice. You can have as much or as little of God as you want. Your relationship with Jesus can be limited to kind of this, this time in life where it was red hot and you did this stuff and it was great and then the emotion was gone and it must not be really that great and I'll just go back to, to normal. Or your relationship with Christ can be with him every single day, pursuing him, even when the emotion is gone, even when it's difficult, even in the waiting, even if you've made a mistake like Peter. Our faith is built during times of waiting. Our faith is built in times of trusting, right? It's God's faithfulness that we see in between the promise and the fulfillment. It's kind of like me waiting for full-time work here at Thorn Creek Church. Like, I was called to ministry in 2008. I started on staff here at Thorn Creek part-time in 2010, and I went full-time in 2015. From that 2010 to 2015 time frame, I saw other people come on staff. I saw other people go full-time or increase their hours. And I could have said, you know what? Where's my turn? What am I, what, why am I just sitting over here waiting? I could just go back to, like, I was working at an IT company. I could have just gone and gone back to that. Picked up the fishing rod and said, I'm going to go fishing. Right? God's not moving. But, but, but I knew God was faithful. I knew he had a plan. And so I just waited. Looking back, I now know that had it happened earlier, it wouldn't have been successful. I probably would have failed. I probably, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't mature enough. In my faith, there's a very big distinction between the life that falls back to what's comfortable and the life that seeks God in the waiting. Do you remember in, in verse 3, how many fish did they catch when they went back fishing? Zero, nothing. The, the Greek word translated to nothing means nothing. I looked it up. <laughs> Zero. It's, it's a good word study if you want. Uh, they, they didn't catch anything, right? And then, so we jump back in, verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he's way off. They can't really see that it's him. He calls out, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. They had caught nothing on their own. 
They had gone back to what was normal, but they were doing it in their own strength, and they had zero. Now, you have to understand, these guys weren't casual fishermen. They weren't like me. This wasn't a hobby for them, right? They'd grown up. This was their living before they met Jesus. They knew how to fish. They had fished in the Sea of Galilee many, many, many times. They had gone out at night for two reasons, most likely. One, you go out at night because all the fish, fish that you catch can go right to market in the morning fresh when it opens, right? That's one of the reasons people would go fishing at night. The other reason is it's much easier. You take your boat out there, you put your torches on it, and you throw your nets out, and the fish are attracted to the light, so they just swim right on up to you. But so they tried this, it didn't work. And Je so when Jesus, the, the guy they don't recognize over there says, hey, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat, Right, like seven and a half feet, right? Same boat, same water, same fish. Just put it over here. It's in the daytime too, right? There's no torches. There's, you know, they got to think this guy's ridiculous. See, there's a difference between doing something on your own and doing it out of obedience to God. That difference is the results. What's so very cool about this is that Jesus is doing something here that, that parallels what we saw him do in Luke 5 when he called the disciples. Verse 4 says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he's in Simon's boat, and he says, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse 5, Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Sound familiar? But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help uh, brought their partners in uh, the other boat, and soon boats uh, were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. John has deja vu right here, and he says, verse 7, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. Right? He remembers that how he called them and how he did this before. He said, Just go out and, and throw the nets on the other side. And he says to Peter, he says, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. You guys ever seen Forrest Gump? You remember when Lieutenant Dan comes and like Forrest sees him, he's like waving, and all of a sudden he just jumps off the boat, right? That's Peter. <laughs> Peter's impulsive. He's just like, hey, that's Jesus. I'm going. He's not going to wait for everybody else. It's his friend. He's excited to see him. See, even, even though Peter had gone back to what was normal, what he was comfortable with, as soon as he saw Jesus, as soon as he realized like, hey, I don't have to do this, he's going back to Jesus. He wasn't even going to wait for that boat. His hope is beginning to grow. We should be like Peter. In our time of waiting, in our time of struggles, in our time of hardships, if we see Jesus, we need to run to him. We need to jump out of that boat and go. Because there's nothing better than being with Jesus. And that's what Peter knows. He, he, was, he was at a place where he didn't think he could be used, but he still wanted to be with Jesus. How do we do that? How do we know? How are we going to see Jesus moving in those hard times? We have, to, we have to be intentional. We have to stay reading our Bible every day, right? Like, we're not going to hear him if we're not listening for him. We have to be praying every day. We have to, don't, don't like, if something hard happens in your life, you don't, like, stop going to church and stop going to small group and stop being in the relationships that you're in. You dig in even deeper. 
It's those relationships. That's what, we, that's what the church is supposed to be. We come around each other and we support and we love and we remind each other what God's word says, what his promises are for us. But if you disconnect, if you go back to that old way, God will respect that choice. He's still going to try and show up, but he's going to respect your choice. He has plans for Let's continue on here. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Someone counted. There were 153 fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What's unique and different here between this account and what happened in Luke 5 is the net didn't tear this time. Right before, they hadn't been walking with Jesus. They were just fishermen. But now... They were walking in what God had called them to, to be fishers of people. And now in the power of Jesus, their life was transformed. They were a new net, one strong enough to hold 153 fish. These are different fishermen. Without Christ, they can't accomplish this great task, but with him, they can carry the harvest. The same goes for us. We are to share our love of Christ with others, and we can't do it on our own, but when our faith is in Jesus, we are a new creation. We're stronger. We're able, not by our own might, but by his. See, it's interesting. Jesus, he he makes this fish breakfast, right? They catch all this fish. Like Jesus doesn't need his fish or need their fish, right? I mean, he just, I mean, I don't know where Jesus got his fish. I'm sure he just went fish and they were there, right? He doesn't need their fish, but he invites them in. See, Jesus doesn't need your fish, but he loves your involvement. God chooses to use us in the work of his kingdom. He gets to use, he chooses to use each and every one of us, flawed as we are, imperfect as we are, yet washed and clean, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are able to be used by him. He invites us to do the work with him. It's very interesting that Jesus chooses to eat with them. In the ancient times, eating with someone was a very intimate act. It was, you were communing, you were having this intimate relationship. But even more interesting is that he's eating with Peter because when you ate with someone who had wronged you, it was an act of forgiveness. Jesus is there and he's, 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 he's kind of holding out that forgiveness to Peter, saying, come, be with me, eat. And then they have this conversation. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This set of verses is so packed. It's so beautiful. We're gonna, we're gonna run through this a little bit. Let's start with the fact that Jesus calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. He had changed his name to Peter. He said, you are Peter. But here he comes and he says, Simon, son of John. Like, I don't think Jesus was trying to shame Peter. I don't think he was trying to hurt him. I think he just recognized where Peter was and he met him in that place. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in that, like that, like a, a, a down place and someone tries to encourage you by like trying to say like who, who you kind of should be or, or maybe you are, but you don't recognize it, it kind of hurts, it stings. I've been in that spot. Or maybe I, 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 believe it or not, I'm not the best father. I've made mistakes. And in those times of mistakes, I've had people go, no, you're a good father, you're a good dad. But I just don't feel it. I'd rather them just go, Jeremy, it's okay. Right? And that's where Jesus says, he's like, Simon, do you love me? And isn't that a beautiful thing? Like Jesus focuses on the heart of the issue, the, the love, right? He doesn't ask Peter, like, why'd you deny me? He doesn't say, you know, what are you going to do next? What's your, what's your next action step to, to resolve this? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, what were you thinking? He says, And he asked him that first time, he says, do you love me more than these? And that could be taken a few ways. He could be like, do you love me more than these guys love me, the other disciples? Or do you love me more than these? Going back to the fishing, do you love me more than this? Or are you just going to go back? Peter says, you know I love you, God. Each time Jesus finishes the little conversation, the question and the answer, command. He's restoring Peter right before everybody's eyes. He's saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He says, if you love me, it's, it's as if he's saying, you know what, Simon, if you really love me, then be Peter and take care of my people. If you really love me, then walk in obedience to what I've called you to. Jesus asked him three times, around a fire. You know, just like that elk story, like that's burned into my brain. I was talking with another pastor, uh, Pastor John Nunnally, and he, he said, you know what, that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. And unfortunately, he's right. <laughs> but I imagine Peter was the same way there, sitting around a fire and these three I love yous just running over his head with those three denials around a fire. He knows what's going on. And lastly, there's this really neat and interesting thing that happens. See, in, in all of our English translations, it just says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But in Greek, there's different words for love. There's agapao love, and there's phileo love. Gene Getz says it like this. He says, agapao love does what is right and best for someone, even if it involves negative feelings. It's this kind of love that comes from the will. It says, I will love you like God loves you, 
Even if you've wronged me, even if, if you're doing the wrong thing, I'm still gonna show mercy and grace and love to you. And the other love is phileo. Uh, Precept Austin website says it like this, phileo denotes personal attachment and is more a matter of sentiment or feeling. It is devotion based in emotions distinguished from uh, agape, uh, agapao, which represents devotion based in the will. Stated another way, phileo is chiefly of the heart, whereas agape is chiefly of the head. Phileo is this brotherly love, right? That's where we get Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? It's, it's this love that has emotion attached to it. And the way this works is, is Jesus asks him, do you, do you agapao me? Do you love me with this love of God? And, and, and Peter says, I phileo you. love you like you're my brother. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he says, do you, do you, do you agapao me? Do you love me like God loves? Peter says, I flail you. Know that I love you. And the third time, Jesus changes. And he says, Peter, do you flail me? Like, do you really love me? And Peter says, you know all things. You know See, Jesus wants us to have both, but he doesn't need us to be at that God level before he can use us. That, that God agape love that's, that's selfless and, and of the will, he'll meet us right where we are. He comes down to Peter and says, then, then if, if you love me that much, let's move forward. He wants us to love with the will and he wants us to love with feeling and emotion, the love of a brother or a sister. It's love that just says, I wanna just hang out and be close to you. In that place of both loves, God forgives, God restores, God renews, God delivers on his promises and calling. Finish the chapter up. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's as simple as that. Follow me. Peter goes on to preach at the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. This guy who, who went to the end and said, I don't even know him. Never met the guy. You guys do what you want. If you're going to kill him, fine. He goes from there to here. I'm going to just go fishing. To building Christ's church. God can do that with you. God wants to do that. God has a plan for you. God has promises for you. God has hope for you. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, what, what brought you here today. Maybe you're just coming because you always come. Maybe you're coming because there's been something on your heart. I want you to know that God wants to restore and renew your hope today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that even when we're like Peter, whether it be impulsive and putting our foot in our mouth, 
or even to the point of denial. That your grace and your love is so big that you will bring us back into the fold. That you have agape love for us and you have phileo love for us. Maybe you're in that place right now where you're waiting, you're struggling, there's, there's something going on. Would you just say this prayer? Say, God, you know all things. You know that I love you. I need you with me. Would you touch my life? Would you speak to me? Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.